Hi, everyone. I'm Kevin Miller, and this is The Ziggler Show, where our goal is to inspire your true performance. In this episode, the valiant struggle to rise above mediocrity. Sometimes it's just tiring to go against the flow. We want to belong with and trust the society we live in. Sometimes we may even just want to chill out and, you know, just be average for a while. But then we realize that we're answering the call, that we feel the responsibility to grow and evolve and strive toward our full potential. And it requires doing more than the average. In this show, we're going to hear a four-minute message from Zig Ziglar on this topic. And from it, I posted this question on Facebook. Having more than average means doing more than average, being countercultural, going against the flow. Do you ever feel tired of the effort? Well, Tom Ziegler joined me to talk through the comments. And what you're going to hear is a lot of commiserating, which is kind of what I was shooting for, you know, about the struggle. But also you're going to hear the motives people have for pressing on. I believe you're going to get a lot of encouragement from this episode for your own above average pursuits. So we're going to hear this uh, four minute message from Zig Ziglar. And then Tom and I'll get into your comments right after I share some great products and services with you. Had the privilege a couple of years ago of going back to Heinz Junior College, which is now known as Heinz Community College, to have set up a scholarship fund for Coach Joby and Jim L., his wife, Harris. It was really an exciting occasion. I spoke to the student body and the faculty and some visitors uh, that morning. That afternoon, uh, we had a public seminar over in Jackson. The uh, meeting there on the campus was to me truly exciting and out of it I really got a tremendous lesson. Uh, the auditorium was absolutely packed and I looked up and they had students and faculty lined up all the way around the auditorium and as I got started I said now folks if you will notice we got five vacant seats down here and four vacant seats over here and all you got to do is come down and claim them they are yours not but one person moved now I said to them, there are no obstacles. I wish I were strong enough and had the time to pick them up and take them back to you. First of all, I'm not. Second, I don't have time. Third, I'm sure the administration would be very unhappy if I could pull a Superman and do exactly that. Come on down. They're available still. Only the one came down. None on the second row over here. Now I said, now I'll be the first to confess, you're going to have to climb over two people to get to these four seats, but that's the way life is. Sometimes you have to climb over obstacles in order to get there. But I can tell you it's well worth it. The front row seats are available. And I want you to think about that. There's a lot of room at the top. There's just not enough room to sit down. You know what the difficult part is? It's getting out of the crowd at the bottom. That's the tough part. You know why it is? Because at the bottom, you've got tens of thousands of people. It takes a whole lot for you to be able to stick your head high enough even to be seen. But once you take that first step out of the crowd at the bottom, then the competition starts to diminish rather dramatically. A number of years ago, I ran an ad in a newspaper down in Houston, Texas, the same time I ran an ad in Denver, Colorado. I'll not identify what the response was or from which city, but in one of them, I'd run an ad, earn $20,000 a year. In the other one, I ran an ad, earn $50,000 a year. I got 25 times as many responses to the one on the lower figure because most people at that day and time could not see themselves earning the higher dollars. The only difference in the ad was the dollar mark. Most people never really see themselves as being the capable individual they are. That's the reason I spent so much time on building of that healthy self-image. I just want you to know that front row seats are available but they're not going to come to you. There are obstacles to climb. That's what I'm really saying. But they really are climbable. How do you climb obstacles? I love the example I've used so many times. 
showing the picture of the uh, person standing there at the foot of the uh, stairs, looking at them. And then over here, there's an elevator sign, and the sign says the elevator to the top is out of order. You're going to have to take the stairs. I believe that's the way it is in life. The elevator to the top is out of order, and yes, you are going to have to take the stairs in order to get there. Well, Tom, as, you know, as we discussed, we hear this message from your dad, from Zig Ziglar, and we know that to get more than the average, we have to do more than the average. And we usually, you know, in the personal development world, we kind of, you know, we're yelling that mantra, come on, be inspired, let's go do it. And, you know, kick butt and take names. And Dave Ramsey says to live like no one else, you have to live like no one else. And we get that. We want to be excited about that. Obviously, we want to get up in the morning and take our daily motivation as Zig's quote goes. But I also in my own experience and in walking with so many other people realize, man, sometimes we are humans and sometimes uh, it, it, you, you wear out a little bit or you just get tired of you realize, man, it's just the, the effort, the consistent effort, you know, can get to me. And I, I think I just wanted to address the humanity of that. Uh, and I know you, you deal with it yourself and with so many other people. Yep. Um, that's why we talk about self-care. Um, yeah. You know, you, you got to be before you can do, you got to do before you can have, you got to be the right kind of person. You got to take care of yourself. You can't give something you don't have. Uh, and I think we got to revisit our why, Mm -hmm. right? We got to revisit our why. Um, and there's to me, like there's a million whys that you can have, but there's kind of like two categories of why, uh, in the work area. One of them is you could be totally jazzed about the work you do, right? And the other one is you could be totally jazzed about the people you get to work with. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and the ultimate is if you can do both. Yeah. Uh, but what I really encourage is, man, you know, sometimes we find ourselves really good at something or or there's a great need at something that, Hey, we like it, you know, but it's not like we wake up, you know, breathing it all day long. Yeah. Right. And that's fine. That's, that's good. Uh, but the question is, is how can you, how can you build purpose into that? Yes. And to me, it's the people we get to do it with. Yeah. So the work itself might not be the driver, but, but who it serves, that could be a powerful driver, but we got to, we got to connect it in. I, and we got to realize, man, you know what? <laughs> um, it's like dad, you know, I would see him, he, he you know, is his, uh, from the book, see at the top, he talks about the arrow shaped swimming pool, yeah. and, you know, for a lot of years, dad came home and he would immediately put his bathing suit on and he'd go get in the pool mm-hmm. and you could just see the stress and everything come off yeah. from the day. Yeah. Right. Not that he had a ton of negative stress, but you know, and that's the point. It's still an effort though. It, yeah. He wasn't sitting well, yeah. there taking orders, just responding to life. You are, I mean, we're talking about a, we're talking about initiative, being proactive, making decisions. And, and I think that's what I was looking to hit is somewhat just having compassion for sometimes it can, I get it, man. It can be, it can be tiring, but I appreciate that. Yeah, self-care. That's why we have to take time for ourselves. Well, let me read through a few here, and I think it'll bring up some more. Um, Sophia, she says, sometimes I wish I could be like others around me who can contentedly do work and family day in and day out and not have a concern in the world for tomorrow. They just watch their shows, play, enjoy their hobbies and figure the future will work itself out. As an anagram seven with a very strong three in me, uh, I'm always living in the future and the goals I'm pursuing relentlessly chasing something that makes me, my life or my family's life better. I put the kids to bed and I want to do a training or grow my side hustle or read a book, something that will make tomorrow better. I've been this way since childhood. I often wish I could just chill, but then I know I can't because I have an innate desire to create a better tomorrow. And that pursuit brings me joy. So I just accept this in my DNA. 
Tom, I read that. And on one hand, I commiserate with the perspective. And on the other hand, there's some things in there that I also have learned to be a little cautious with. What are your thoughts? So what are you cautious with? I'm flipping it back to the host. This isn't fair. <laughs> I, I, I do commiserate with how she feels. And, and I used to say, honestly, with a little bit of pride that I'm addicted to production. And, and I do. There's a lot of things. I, I don't know. I don't know boredom. I don't understand. I have to make an effort to be bored. I don't, I don't know it because I do have a lot of interests and I'm grateful for that. I have a lot of interests. I have a lot of things I'd like to do. But honestly, Tom, I had a couple guys, a couple friends a few years ago, just communicating about play and fun that they were having with their family specifically. And even just, you know, with groups of, of friends. And I realized, man, I, I don't do that that well. And, uh, and I think my dad will appreciate this and he may very well, he listens to a lot of these shows, so he may hear it, but I realized that with him, that as a growing up, he didn't play much. He didn't have a hobby. His work was everything. And I struggled with that as a kid. I wanted him to play and to be fun sometimes, but I thought about that. And so my caution for myself is over the past really two years, maybe longer though, I really have made an effort to have times where I don't allow myself to produce. Um, I, you know what? I, actually, I'll, I'll, a great turning point, going to Cancun uh, with my wife. We went. She finally talked me in to go into an all-inclusive thing. I had said I didn't want to and yada, yada, but she finally talked me into We went there. We got up at 5 the next morning because it wasn't even jet lag. I think we were just, you know, we were excited and whatever. Went out on the beach and at two o'clock in the afternoon, I said, honey, I have done all the nothing I know how to do. What on earth are we going to do for the next week? I'm going to go crazy because I couldn't do it. Well, since then, and since my own change and my pursuit of not being productive, I've learned to love it. I've learned uh, for me, it helps fuel the productivity, kind of like what you talked about self-care. And the last few times that we've gone on, we've continued to go on these kind of vacations, man, I, I can get used to it. You put, you know, five, six days of theoretically, you know, doing nothing. I love it. Uh, I could do more. I've never gotten to the end. Now I can do endless, you know, it to that degree, as far as rest and recovery and renewal and rejuvenation. Now I'm usually got a book and a journal and I'm writing ideas and I'm swimming and I'm running and, and we're having fun. We're not just sitting there literally doing nothing, but, um, I don't know. So I'm learning uh, and I'm looking at that in the drive, 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 drive. I found that even amongst our peers, Tom, and, and in the personal development, when I find somebody, it's drive, 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 drive. Oh, I, I kind of just feel tired hearing about it. Um, <laughs> so no judgment or whatever, but I, so that's why I said I'm, I have some concerns in there. Yeah. Myself. You know, uh, I'm a pretty chill person. Uh, you know, I'm very medium. I don't get like over, over excited or over concerned about anything. Uh, sometimes I have to fake concern to put my wife at ease. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Okay. Yeah. You know, I, dad I was, that. Yeah. Dad was wired a lot. Like, uh, is it Sophie? <clears throat> yep. Yeah. Yep. Wired a lot like her, but this is what he did. Uh, he decided that he was going to relish and I love the word relish. He was going to relish everything. He was going to relish his game of golf. He was going to re relish the family time. Yeah. He was going to relish writing the book. He was going to relish taking the walk. He was going to relish going sightseeing. And so he just took his natural uh, makeup, which is when I'm in, I'm all in. He just decided to go all into whatever it was. And, you know, he was all into taking a nap. I mean, he would announce, I'm going to take a nap. Watch this. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And bam, you know, he would just take that nap. So, you know, I think we got to find out what works. Um, I think it's really, yeah. and this is happening right now everywhere. And we talked about it, I think, last time we talked. And that is that, you know, people are, because of the upset in the status quo that what we do is disrupted right now uh, for most of us we're either not able to do what we do or we're having to do it in a dramatically different way mm -hmm. uh, and we have fear around what we have you know the stability of what we have 
And so that's revealing who we are at the core. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I think what dad had is he had like complete peace at who he was at the core. Yeah. And so I think the, the challenge is if you're, um, if you're, if what you do defines who you are, then somehow not doing, you feel less of a person. That, there's my history, Tom. That, that's where my concern comes in. Yeah. And so what we've got to do is, you know, don't change what you do, change how you value yourself. Yeah. So that yeah. when you can, so then you can go all in on the play. Yeah. And it doesn't threaten the value you put on yourself because your value is no longer what you do. It's who you are. Yeah. Well, I, I, I use the word peace in regards to your dad. That's the one that gets to me. Are you at peace when we, when we really look introspectively at our motives, at our reason for doing what we do and how we do it? Are we at peace? And yeah, a lot of my past, uh, I don't know, like you talk about your dad, uh, about Zig, you know, that he would, he was pretty high energy. Some may even say high strong and you know, he's in a relationship. I'm not that so much, but I realized that my, my family was really aware that daddy always has to, there's a purpose and we're going to talk about the depth of it. If we're watching uh, a, a fun movie, he's going to pause it and we're going to talk about purpose in the middle of it. And not that that was bad, but man, do I always have to be on that you know, like I found it myself saying or hearing them kind of say, can, can we just, can you just chill out some, uh, <laughs> once in a while, not always be so intense was that word. And, and I realized a lot of times I wasn't at peace. I wasn't allowing myself just to be in the moment, just to enjoy it. Uh, so, but, you know, but back to what you said, that's, it's the unique aspect of all of us. And I like the word peace for it, Tom. I, I really do. Um, well, here's some more that I think will lead us into this. Marty Wenger, he says, I, I do get tired. He says, sometimes I think about selling uh, out the dream and possibilities of their acreage on the lake and just moving to town in a simple house close to work and school and stores. And then I remember that most of the long-term reasons for why I live out here still exist. And man, I, I smiled when I read that because as you know, I live on, we've got a big house on, on land and lots of stuff and lots of people. And man, I'll find myself with a poor attitude sometimes of upkeep and maintenance and dealing with this and dealing with that. And yeah, that idea of, oh my gosh, can we just live in town where we have a short paved driveway that you can shovel? We don't have to plow miles of, you know, stuff and whatever. And then the moment I do, I, I don't want to be somewhere else, but now I'm just complaining. It kind of goes to what Mark Batterson said. Uh, I don't have that show number in front of me, but Mark Batterson, a pastor and author, and he said, along with God's blessings come complexities. There's going to be more stuff to take care of. And I have to remind myself. But yeah, I, again, even that sometimes in my, the blessing of the land and the house and the, the business and whatever that I think, Oh my goodness, I've just got, Oh, we talked about it before the show. Sometimes I, I get even just decision burnout, which you do. You're a business owner. I mean, I, nobody makes decisions for me. I mean, isn't that you, you come in, you sit down in the morning, you decide what you're going to do next. And I want that desperately. And I can't handle if somebody else is making the decision for me, but once in a while, I just, oh my gosh, can I just grab, I'm gonna grab a cup of coffee and scroll Facebook because I don't feel like it at the moment. Yeah, there's been times in my business life where I just like, would just like, would somebody just make all these decisions for me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. It's, it's just, just, I don't care if they're right or not, just make them so that I can... Well, because you, you, you get tired of it. You do. And in your coaching, I, I find that that is sometimes the bigger issue. Back, you know, back when I was uh, helping uh, guide people from traditional employment into self-employment, that that sometimes was one of the biggest hurdling blocks is just decision. When you are employed, one of the benefits or detriments, depending on your perspective, is the decisions are made for you. That's often uh, a big piece of why people do go after self-employment. They want to make decisions. They want to do where to work where they find their own purpose and to be free. It's definitely the case for me. And yet then you find yourself in that place and nobody is there to make the decisions for you. And that's a very, I've had kids, I've had great conversations with my adult kids, some who like that and some who are really, really struggle with making that decision. Uh, my wife is that way. She is very, 
um, non-traditional in her approaches. She's not the best, the easiest employee because she has ideas of what she wants to do, but she doesn't like, she'll say this. I don't like a white piece of paper. So if anybody's out there that feels like that, that does not make you not an entrepreneur that you don't like a, a white piece of paper. My primary business partner who, you know, your doctor, my doctor, Dr. Randy James, same way. I don't like a white piece of paper. I love a blank piece of paper where I can create and come up with that initial structure and framework. They like to go put the pieces together and make it shine. I don't like to do that. We can both be, you know, entrepreneurs. Uh, so even there, you know, where in the decision process, do you like to make the initial decision, take the initial step? Or are you more like to help fulfill and administer and maintain? I mean, I think that those are good aspects to understand of ourselves in that decision-making context because uh you know especially for a solopreneur beginning entrepreneur a startup you got to wear a lot of hats and just to be aware of which ones are gonna wear you out more you are listening to the ziggler show and next i read a comment from a guy who cites uh yes that the struggle is real but he says he's tired of succumbing to average uh, we also get into the concept of not working harder and longer but smarter so we'll start right back in after i share some great products and services with you um, Thomas here, he says every single day, uh, he struggles with this and I ask him to tell me more. He says, I've been reading good to great. He says, I am tired, but this is where the fight begins. Good people quit now, but I'm not going to because I want something more. I have grown tired of settling for average. That's a big line right there. I have grown tired of settling for average. Well, and that goes back to my question and thus he's going to have to do well, he's going to have to do more than average, but here, Tom, let me throw this at, at you. I just, I just said this in another show that I recorded. Uh, it used to be, well, let's see, how do I premise this? The, the thought of that, that being an entrepreneur, you're going to have to do more. That's generally what we think. And it, for the most part, I think, you know, you're going to have to, you are going to have to do more, but I'll tell you today in my entre my own entrepreneurial journey, I don't think of doing more. I, my goal is not to put in more hours than everybody else. I do, however, want uh, my mind at the top of uh, its functioning capacity. So I have critical thinking skills. I have uh, creative thinking skills. I reach out to others and I now want to work smarter. That's my bigger effort. I want to work smarter so I can get more done, uh, more significant work, the deeper work, but not by putting more time in now. And I work a significant amount less than I used to. I won't even say, I know people are going to hear that and go, well, maybe you can afford to, you know, financially or whatever. It's not that though. I'm getting as much or more work done, but I am working smarter. Um, I don't, I, I think that's fair to put out there as far as the entrepreneurial venture. Do you know uh, by any chance what kind of business Thomas is, is in? I don't. Okay. Uh, you know, I never will forget. We had Simon Sinek on and you and I were interviewing yep. him. Yep. And, uh, I think it was around the book leaders eat last and yes, you're right. And the, and he said, and I don't know if this was said in the book or he said it on the interview or I'm, because I could have gotten them uh, transposed, but he said something like, you know, one of the things he wanted to figure out was, you know, good to great is all about getting the right people on the bus. Mm -hmm. And so his question was, and leaders eat last is, is the right people on the bus, the most important thing, or is the right bus, the most important thing, which mm -hmm. is really culture or I call it atmosphere. Um, and so golly, there's a lot of energy, uh, just drained off of, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs, type A's who try to control things we can't control. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's just, it's just hard. Uh, and you know, we, we, we feel like we bring somebody on and I've had, I've brought good people on, got them up and going, they were just hitting their stride and they leave, mm -hmm. they go somewhere else, um, ends up, you know, and I'm like, Oh my gosh, there went six months or there went a year. Right. I mean, you know, you're trying to grow something. Yeah. Um, and so I'm, I've gotten really dedicated on to what we can control and what I like to do. And I, I agree with Simon on this. And that is that, you know what, you create the right bus. And for me, you create the right atmosphere, right? You, then the people who come in, 
who are attracted to that are going to, they're going to rock. Right. Yeah. And the people who are quote unquote average people who don't really think one way or the other, the right atmosphere will sway them. Mm-hmm. And the people who don't like that atmosphere, <laughs> guess what? We want them. We want them to move on. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, and so I would, I like, I've really tried to be focused now on, you know, not, not trying to manipulate somebody mechanically or talking them and selling them into, Hey, you'll be great in this, in this place. What I'm saying now is, Hey, look at what this place is. Are we a fit for you? Yeah. Right. Make them want it, make them want, want that. And it's, there is nothing more tiring than spinning 10 plates at the same time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because you're running from one to the run to the next, the next. And that's kind of like you have 10 good people and you have an average at atmosphere. And so you're having to spin the plates to, to, to keep them engaged. Whereas if, if the only plate you're spinning is the atmosphere, yeah, you might lose one or two of them because it's just not the best fit. Uh, but the others help you grow the atmosphere. Well, and you talking about people, Tom, yeah. And, and atmosphere of people and having the right people. I have, that would be an, another aspect of working smart to me. That's a, another place that I have grown significantly is in delegating, which for me was a trust issue. Uh, I'm not, I don't think of myself as a control freak, but I've gotten called out in business that I can tend to micromanage anything that I think affects, especially my own influence I'll step into. And as I've learned to trust people and let them make decisions, empower them, man, the load that it takes off of me. And again, I know people hear that if, if you're, if you're in business out there and you, the first thing that comes up is, can you afford it? I maybe I can't afford it. I get that. Uh, I think that sometimes you can get creative, uh, however, and how you do that. Uh, but also I've, I've learned a lot, especially back, back in the early days that man, gosh, sometimes I, when I thought I couldn't afford to, uh, I realized later I couldn't afford not to. And that investment in that person paid off so much in the productivity that, uh, ensued from it. I was just frustrated that I had not done it a long time ago. Well, hey, we got some uh, some more great ones here. Gregory, he says, uh, I often feel tired. Yes, uh, this anagram three with with four craves feedback, and sometimes my work feels like shouting into the abyss with no echo. Uh, that was just a poignant term. And I think, again, there's another piece of, and I didn't mean for this to be about self-employment necessarily, but there's another place where people struggle continually. And I know longtime entrepreneurs still struggle with that if they feel somewhat isolated, especially those who have figured out how to work and they are fairly isolated. Even uh, for me, I am the people I work with are generally remote. The people that I have working with me on my team, I don't often have in my office face to face. Now I'm an introvert. I can handle that, but man, for the, the, the extroverts, especially out there, the people like the social aspect, that's another hard pill to swallow sometimes. And you leave a place of employment and lots of people that you're interacting with and go on your own. If it's not a you know type of business that by proxy is going to have people there, obviously start a restaurant. You're going to have people around you, but, uh, uh, so many of these days, it's a very real and present issue to know that you're going to be making decisions. You may not be in a, a social group in your work and you may need to look at how you can fulfill that otherwise. Uh, but that feeling like your, your work shouting to the abyss with no echo. I, I think any self-employment venture feels like that at times. Yep. And let me tell you something. Uh, that's reality right now for a huge oh my percentage gosh, of the workforce. Yeah, you're right. It's you're just right. crazy right now because let's just, let's just face it. You know, uh, I've done a lot of work on the concept of atmosphere and I like it because it's spiritual, but it's so much easier to call it the environment or the culture. Yeah. But now when a virtual world and zoom meetings, what it really is, is the atmosphere mm-hmm. because you're, you know, you're, you're at home, you're meeting people via this, you know, technology, but guess what we can all do? We can all bring the atmosphere. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But the culture, maybe not because we're one piece of our own culture and there's all these other cultures out there uh, and environment. Well, it's, everybody's got the same environment now. You know, the only difference is maybe my screen behind me changes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. And, and again, we're, we're talking about this. I know this is a, an, an evergreen podcast. And so 
we are referring to the coronavirus happening in spring 2020. Uh, well, hey, here's a guy you know, Steve Rosen. He says, I'm 46. I'm fully retired. I did a 20-year career in the Army and then five years as a fitness coach and business owner. Your post just opened my eyes to something. At times during my careers, I did strive and go above and beyond to earn more income. However, based on my choices, it seems that perhaps I was actually striving to have more than average free time and freedom versus money and fame. Uh, sometimes I look at what others my age have as far as status, money, possessions, fame, and I wonder if I'm missing out, but then I realize I gave myself two wonderful gifts, freedom and time. So I may not have a lot of stuff or a title that sets me culturally and socially apart, but I get to goof off a lot and spend time at home, which I enjoy after a year, I'm still learning to accept and appreciate being retired. And there were people after him that, you know, uh, liked it and, and, and backed that up, supported that feeling for themselves as well. Again, now we're back to what is your purpose? What's your motive? What's the goal of what you are doing? Is it something, well, I think back to what we looked at even there, Tommy, as we're looking at these goals, looking at these expectations of what we're doing to ask, as you said, why, Back to Simon Sinek. Oh, which by the way, that was show 397. Folks, if you heard that, we Tom and I both interviewed Simon uh, Ziegler Show episode uh, 397. But to what Steve said, to ask ourselves, what is the point? What is the motive? And is it something we're at peace with? Is it something that we really want for ourselves? That's the, he's telling the story, Tom, of the, not that we have to tell it here, but it's, uh, if people want to go look for it, it's the Mexican fisherman, mm-hmm. right? I think you should find it on that. Mexican, I'll, will you say something smart? I'll look it up. (laughs) (laughs) Is that the story where the, uh, where the guys? Yep. Uh, it's a parable. The story of the Mexican fisherman be more with less. Uh, right. Yeah. So the tourist comes on and mm -hmm. the guy's sleeping on a hammock on the beach and, Mm -hmm. He says, what do you do? He says, well, I fish every morning and then I sit on the beach all day. And then the businessman says, well, you know, you could, you could catch, you could work all day, catch a lot of fish. Why would I do that? Well, you could sell those fish and then you could buy a boat. Well, why would I do that? Well, when you buy a boat, you can catch even more fish, which you could sell for even more money. Why would I do that? And the punchline is, well, someday you could sit on the beach all day and do whatever you want. Yeah. And he's like, well, isn't that what I'm doing I'm now? Already doing that. Yeah, there's modern progress. Uh, well, so here's we've got uh, Jessica Smith Moore. Now she's been posting a lot. She started a business, uh, Tom. She's a fitness uh, instructor to some to some degree, but she started a physical property. And she said, yes, especially right now with my, so again, so she has a fitness center, which of course nobody can come to at the moment, um, with my husband, I, what's that? I know Jessica well. Oh, that's right. She's a Z she's a, she went to the most recent Ziegler legacy certification. Uh, that's right. She's been talking about that. So she said, yes, especially right now with my husband laid off and he is the primary earner in the household. The pressure is on me. I do not accept average. So right now the stress of being creative and thinking outside the box to make money is exhausting. And I have seen a lot from her as she has, as anybody in that industry is, they're pretty much trying to do it remotely. And can they train you know, uh, from a digital stage and coach from that. And yes, but most of them have seen a big hit in income. Well, and talk about somebody who's an extrovert and used to being with a group of people all day. And now she's not, um, there's the void. Yeah. Uh, Joe Lalonde here. He says, sometimes I do feel tired, but then I look at the rewards of what I've done. I'm free from house payments, car payments, loan payments. Uh, and it's amazing. Back to what you said, Tom, what is that goal? What is the big picture that we're working for? And I, I think that, you know, some of this, I, I, you know, it's interesting to think about that, Tom, I, in honest truth, I don't have to do that anymore. I think there was a time when I did, but now I'm so ingrained, thankfully for what I'm working for and why I don't have to think of the motive, uh, anymore, even as I attest to sometimes, do I feel, do I, you know, do I feel tired? Do I feel a little worn down with this? Sure. But I think it's a process. The more we do it, the more we're solid in the reasons why it gets easier. Yep. 
you know, I'm not a theologian, um, but it seems like I read or remember being taught that from a scriptural perspective, there is no values difference between a priest and somebody who digs ditches all day. Yeah. You know, they're, they're both honorable work. And I think we get caught up uh, in, you know, that, hey, you know, I have less or more value based on what it is that I do. Um, but that's just not so. I, yeah. I think we have a purpose and gifts and things like that. You know, Dad said that success is the maximum utilization of the abilities that God gave you. And I do think we have responsibilities. So to me, that's, it's kind of a, more of an internal thing. You know, what is it that, what is it that's going to bring fulfillment that's going to allow us to benefit others and to serve our purpose? Yeah. Uh, yeah. What we do is not as important as why we do it. That is something good for us to all revisit every morning. Uh, well, here, this is an interesting one, Tom, that, that's going to hit on another point that I think is important. Cindy, she says, once this COVID, the coronavirus thing hit, people stopped working on the weekly class that we had. She's, she's a, a coach. They don't discuss anymore and really have lost sight of why they started the group. I tried my best to cheerlead. This is the last week and I finally had to let go and tell them I can't care more about their healing than they do. And I bring that up, obviously, you know, you're a coach, a consultant, you lead and coach other coaches and consultants, a whole sea of them, uh, which folks, uh, if you go to, if on that note, if you're not aware of that, go to Ziggler.com and the, uh, choose to win coaching, uh, program there that Tom has is something to check out. Uh, but to what she says there, Tom, that is a way talk about wearing myself out that I did burn out on coaching and consulting years ago for exactly that reason. I wanted it. I think a lot of times more than the people that I was coaching. Now it's not to diss them. I think it's more on me that I took that responsibility on. I took on way too much responsibility for their outcomes and they had a, an expectation that I was going to make everything work out. And that was an unhealthy, a poor place for a coach or a consultant to be. I'm just there as a guide. I can't lift this force. I even the, the, the idea of a Sherpa, I used to use that literally. And I, I had to back off and go, no, I'm, I'm not really going to, I'm not going to carry any, this is all you. I can just help you with a direction, uh, you know, with inspiration, with motivation, but it's not mine to carry. And man, I did, uh, for those coaches, well, you can speak to that, Tom, cause again, this is right up your alley, but that is a, that's a danger of being in any place of influence, I think. Absolutely. And you know, the, the thing that we really teach, um, in this and I'll, and I'll just give you our four words. So in our mission, our four words are to encourage, transform, equip, and support. That's how we, that's, that, those are the things that we want to do. And so our primary market is, uh, intentional legacy builders, coaches, coaches, trainers, and speakers. So if you're a coach, our goal is to encourage you, help you transform, equip, and support you. And so when you, what, the way we teach bringing on a coaching client is an enrollment process. And it's basically a lot of questions that we ask to where at the end, they literally have to say, I want that. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. It's not a sales position. Hey, this is why you should do it. This is why you should do it. It's a discovery session of helping them discover what it is they want. Yeah. Right. And so if that is the, and so at the end of every coaching session that we do or, or pretty much almost every coaching session, it always ends the same way, Kevin. And we've talked a lot about, you know, where you've come from, what it is you're trying to accomplish. What are you committing to have done before our next call? Mm -hmm. Right. And so the, you know, the monkey of the work, <laughs> it's jumping back on the person. Yeah. Right. It's, it's being owned by the person who wants to be coached because we don't do therapy. We don't do counseling. Uh, you know, we do coaching and yeah. a coach, you know, a great metaphor is the coach on the sidelines, uh, might recommend to play, but the players got to go execute. Yeah. Right. And so, yeah. So it's hard. And there is, uh, you know, Howard Partridge tells the story. He had a mentor and he was really struggling with his business. 
And he went to his business mentor and he said, man, I've got all these people and I got these problems. And he says, what's my problem? And the, the, uh, his mentor Howard said, looked at him and said, well, first off, you're not God. (laughs) That's, that's big medicine there though. He'd taken he'd taken responsibility for every problem that the team had. Yeah. And He's not God, right? Because a lot of the reasons that people don't do what they should has nothing to do with you as a coach. It's hard, right? That, that's just big counsel, Tom. That I want those folks out there to hear. And, you know, my gosh, I would say the same thing as a parent because I failed in that area multiple times as a parent as well. I think maybe God's grace is I just had so many kids. I finally was flat out broken from being responsible for everything. And oh my gosh, the way that I treat them and, and yeah, coach in that sense is so much different than that. Man, I see parents, I see parents of, you know, one kid, two kids, whatever. Uh, they talk about it. The helicopter parent who is just trying to control and influence and do everything. And boy, I've seen such better fruit. Matter of fact, here, here's a testimony. I had my youngest kid the other day where before I would have tried to dictate this, to, to plan it, to videotape it, to do everything. She kept following her older brother and sister around on a little bike and she just pushed it along with her feet. And all of a sudden one of the kids come in and says, uh, Hey, she's just riding by herself. Now she taught herself to ride. She didn't need me to do it. She needed me to back off and let her just play and have fun, man. That's not my it's not my history, so I'm, I'm learning. But good, good call for coaches, parents, everybody out there. Uh, he, this is interesting. Manuel Flores, he says, absolutely, it's exhausting, but we know we need to. We realize if we swim upriver or against the current temporarily, we will reach the calm water and be stronger than before. So I got a story for you, Tom. You ready? I'm ready. I was a professional cyclist. And in the, uh, boy, what year would it have been? I don't know, late nineties, early two thousand, something like that. Now nah, it must've been in the nineties. It was earlier than that. I was at a big race. It was up in Wisconsin, big pro race. And I, if anybody knows anything about cycling, you got a, you got a, a big pack of riders. And this was one they called a criterium. It's kind of like NASCAR for bikes. So it'd go around a few city blocks and it's just really, really fast and big group of people, bike wrecks, you know, and big pileups and stuff. But a lot of times what you try to do is break away, get with a group and, and leave the main group and solidify that you're going to get a top placing. Right. So uh, a group of guys took off and I happened to be, have the right time. And I took off with them too. So probably eight, 10 guys, all big names. I was the young kid, the known. Yeah. What am I talking about? Age wise? I think I was early twenties. So it was, it was back in the nineties. And I'm with them. And oh my goodness, it, the, the speed was outrageous. Talk about swimming upstream against the flow. It was outrageous. And I hung on and I hung on and I hung on. And I thought, this is, this is, this is unreal. And boom, I popped off it. Now, if you, again, if you know about cycling, you got to stay with the group because of the draft is going to go faster than you can. So I popped off of it, went back to the main group and just finished back there. I don't think I placed in the money or anything like that. Day two. Uh, it was a series. It was a couple week long series. Day two, I just happened to come around, had momentum on a corner and just kind of went off the front a little bit. And on the other side of the pack, here goes a group as well. And I just met them. It was perfect timing, same scenario. And in this case, it was eight guys. I knew the name of every single one of them, big pro riders. And I'm there and oh my gosh, the speed was just horrific. But I thought, oh my gosh, my wife is there. I said, I'm not going to pop off again. I've got, so I pushed a little harder, uh, just shy of a heart attack. What happened? It eased up. Now we're away from the group. Everybody, we got some distance on the pack and everybody got into their rotation and it went around. And my, my wife was one of the ones calling out our time distances and little by little it went on till we got away from them. And then we lapped the pack. So I'm in the top eight. The worst I can do is eighth, which is a lot of money and a lot of, a lot of acclaim. And ultimately I actually got third. It was a big race for me. But what I learned there is exactly what Manuel talked about, that when you are doing that swimming up river against the current, uh, at some point you're going to get a break and realize, man, I've broken out of this mold. And now here's, you know, here's a season of it's, it's a cycle. It's not as hard. Or you may find that from that point on that once you do the breakaway, it's not as hard that initial, that initial run though is enough. It's hard enough. 
And this may be just doing something different than your family as an entrepreneur or, or your, you know, your, your, the folks around you doing something countercultural. Uh, and usually that is hard enough to keep, to deter most people from doing it. And the ones that do though realize, man, once you get beyond that, it's a different world. Kevin, how long, how many shows and how long we've been doing this together? Uh, five years. And I've never heard that story. Yeah. I'm not the most fluent with stories about myself. That is unbelievable. It was a, it was a neat, it was a neat, obviously it's, it, 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 it impacts me today. I took that into the rest of my life of, of work and business and effort. And so what Manuel says right there, I realized, man, the initial effort for something is usually enough to break most people. If you'll just go past it, just push a little bit more. You're not going to die for one. And then you're, you're there and it eases up. Uh, yeah, it was such a great analogy. My kids know that story. That's yeah. a great story. It's like getting into an Ivy League school. The hard part's getting in. Once you're yeah. there, yeah. you know, you're there. Once you're so. there, you are there. This is an interesting. Joyce just said, I just like this. Uh, I'll, I'll relate it here. She says, yes, it gets tiring, but so does being still and not being productive. <laughs> and and yeah. my first thought with that, Tom, is how we often, I, and I love this. This is one of my favorite perspectives of all time is when we're looking at doing something different, we look at the risk. That's just humanity. Man, if I do that, here's the risk. And I love just turn around, do a 180, look behind you and go, yeah, what's the risk of staying where I am? That, I like it, I think, because that's one of the primary motivators for me. Sometimes more than the desire to go forward is just realizing, man, I do not, I do not want to be in this place. I want to be somewhere different, somewhere better. I'm not okay if I'm here three months from now or six months or, or two years. It's almost a pessimistic look, Tom, because it's almost like a, a visceral fear. And I, I don't, I'm not okay. I don't feel at peace with myself, with my God, with my family to be in the same spot. I got to go for it. So the risk of being here is bigger than going forward, but it's just, I think it's illogical, isn't it? Just the humanity. It does, it's not the way we tend to look at things. And yet it's yeah. so powerful. Yeah. Um, let's look here. Terry says, yep. Just when you think you have it nailed and you're on top of everything and at peace, bang, I suppose it's how you approach it. And I always, it always seems to work out better with when handled with a positive outlook. There's some classic Ziegler. Uh, what's your dad <laughs> say? Uh, positive thinking won't let you do anything, but you can finish it. It will let you do everything better the negative thinking will. Yeah. That's yep. good. That's big. Uh, that is big medicine there. Uh, Tammy, she says, I've learned that I'm a lifelong learner. I would have never thought such a thing as I really did not like schooling growing up, but I find every four years I need a big change to learn something new and try something new. Do I feel worn out? Yep. That's when I know I need a change and something to light the fire again. But then I get worn out from all the possibilities. I have to remember one day at a time and that Rome wasn't built in a day. Tom, I like that because I have grown to be a fan of whatever you want to call them cycles seasons. Uh, I saw my dad do that and he'd do something and he if successful maybe. And then he would realize, man, I just want some, I want some change. And it's again, I, going back to just what we read before, I think it's a little bit illogical because we, uh, we think, okay, our, our point is to go forward and find what works. And then we got to do it forever. And I, I think we got to allow ourselves to have seasons. Don't you think? Absolutely. Seasons are big. And, you know, I've, because of the situation, the COVID-19, I've been studying black swans and all these cataclysmic events throughout history. And that's one of the hallmarks of people who do well is they, you know what, they really focus on learning and being an expert in something for a season. Yeah. And that constant student, that constant learner profile allows them to adapt and change as the situation changes. Yeah. It's only, you know, the quote unquote security of having, you know, the nine to five job where all the stability is in place. You know, why would I ever want to do this other thing where, you know, there's no security? Well, guess what? There is no security either way. There is no security. Yeah. The only security there is, is that the world's going to have problems and we got to be good at figuring out how to handle them. <laughs> 
Amen. Amen. Tom, it's always fun to do these. Thanks everyone for po- for posting. Uh, there's a bunch more if you want to go to my Facebook page and look at them. But uh, I hope this gives some people permission to say, ah, sometimes I get worn out from this, even though I know it's a direction I need to go. Tom, I'm glad to be going this direction with you. Awesome. Be blessed. Hey, we just broke away from the pack today and we just got to keep up. Absolutely. Because it's going to ease off. It's going to ease off, brother. Thanks. I like that. <laughs> All right. Okay, friends, I trust this has you feeling inspired and hopefully equipped for your above average life and pursuits. It definitely does for me. Well, coming up in episode 781, personal mastery with Robin Sharma. So what is more important than mastering oneself? I mean, the world acclaims those who have you know mastered a skill and we glorify people for what they can do. What we fail to recognize often is the necessary mastery of self, of themselves that preceded the act that they may be on stage for. So, I mean, did you hear that? The performance, whether it's on stage or on a sports field or on camera or in the workplace, it's the result of a level of mastery of self. I mean, it's not the most talented people who win. We've all seen great talent go to waste because the person couldn't pull their act together. Uh, It's some talent and skill that is honed through the daily fire called discipline and habit and routine mastery of self. Well, in this show, I bring you Robin Sharma and mastery of self is his muse. He wrote an intriguing book from decades of his teaching that to boil it down is a playbook for self mastery. It's written in story form. And I'll admit it had me wanting to go back in again. I still do again and again to hang out with the incredibly inspiring characters in it. When this episode, Robin and I talk about the root issues of mastering self. Uh, if you don't know Robin, he is a globally respected humanitarian, best-selling author. His new book again is the 5 a.m. Club. It's currently one of the best-selling books in the world and his influence is just significant. He has 4.1 million followers on Facebook alone. He's widely considered as one of the world's top leadership experts. And if you search for him, you're going to see that his clients include fortune 100 companies, famed billionaires, professional sports, superstars, music icons, celebrities, members of royalty. It's, it's pretty impressive. Uh, Robin's books have sold over 15 million copies in 92 languages, making him one of the most widely read authors alive. Honestly, I, I find interest in anyone who is positively influencing so many people. And I'm incredibly grateful. I invited him onto the show. So uh, you can look forward to this upcoming show, folks. Till then, thank you as always for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together. 